What's up, Anchor? I'm starting a little late today because um, I just have work to do. But I have a question for you. And I do also have a bunch of call-ins that are still continuing conversations from yesterday, which I'm going to play. But um, first, for your consideration, I'm wondering how many of you guys would be up for an open relationship and how do you think it could work? By open relationship, I mean that there could honestly be whatever your interpretation is of that. It could mean that you guys are swingers. It could mean that you are okay with your partner occasionally, you know, going on a date with somebody else or even having sex with somebody else and vice versa. As long as it's a sort of consensual setup where both of you and your partner agree that you guys can see other people, whether it's together or separately. And there might be rules like maybe you don't want to know or maybe you always do want to know and that there are certain things like they're not allowed to do. Um, Let me know what you think. Is it possible? Is it natural? And could you personally make that work? Also, what would you do if your partner came to you and asked you if you were willing to do that? How would you feel? So yesterday, we got into a little discussion about waiting for sex, which got into a discussion about pushing for sex, which got into a discussion about consent. And where we left off was a call from where the anchor holds about men educating each other about consent. And I'm going to play a clip of that before I respond. Hey, Lori, how's it going? Michael Paul Jess here from Where the Anchor Holds. I've enjoyed listening to your station today. You've got a a lot of good topics per the usual. Um, Today's topics, I think it boils down to education. You know, it boils down to education and good, decent, like moral, morally sound role models. Um, So this is kind of a a call to action for uh, men everywhere. We just need to to help educate and uh, just groom other men around us, whether they be our age or younger. And we just need to show them love and show them uh, the right way to uh, engage and interact with women. Uh, Women are a blessing from God and they are precious. And uh, you know what, men, it's time to step up. We gotta, we gotta uh, educate other dudes. I really like it when the conversations from these big events eventually transition into actionable things that we can do as individuals. And I really like the suggestion of peer education. Both men and women, I think, can afford to stop telling people what they want to hear and start giving honest critiques when they hear one of their friends doing something that is out of touch with reality. So, I mean, I know it's tempting you know, among boys to be like, oh, you know, some guy tells you about a woman that he's seeing and that you want to know the details and you want to sort of objectify the situation, talk about all the different ways that this woman's being used and turn into a notch on the belt. And that is typical, you know, quote unquote, locker room talk and boys will be boys and all that. Um, The first thing that could be done is that that kind of shit can be stopped. I don't know how to stop it because then, you know, people want to act like everyone's raining on their parade because they're not allowed to have their fun anymore. And it's not like we can ever get people to stop talking about the opposite gender. But that kind of behavior just fuels the toxicity that we're talking about. Women actually do the same thing. I mean, if we're going to step away from the whole assault um, and and consent aspect of this and just look at gender relations, um, girls like to 
basically take their problems with men to other women. And those women, rather than say, you know what, maybe you should look at it from his side. Maybe you shouldn't just demonize him and demonize all men. They're like, yeah, all men ain't shit and blah, blah, blah. And that kind of stuff isn't healthy either. But it happens on both sides. And that's where it starts. And then it can easily turn into something a lot worse. I also think it's interesting that you bring up treating women like they're precious and like they're blessings because that does manifest in good ways that women like. We like it when men are gentlemanly and when they're chivalrous. And I'm not one of those women who doesn't like chivalry. I actually like it a lot. I just personally think it should be optional, not a requirement, but that's besides the point. I bring this up and I bring attention to it because I think it can be, this might actually be the beginning of the problem. Not that men shouldn't see women as being precious, but the idea that a woman is a thing that is precious or that is a blessing in your life is, is objectifying her, even if positively. The truth is that women are not here for men. They're not here for you. They're not here for, for anyone. They're here for themselves, just like any man is. Um, I, I know that's probably like not what you literally meant, but if you really think about sort of the root of that, of that perception, women are precious, women need to be protected. We have been saying that since the days when women were treated like property to their spouses or women were traded like property between families. And so it, even though it sounds nice and it does result in some nice treatment of women, it ultimately dehumanizes them. And that is what we need to get away from. So I would say that what we need to do is respect each other much more as human beings, not to treat each other as things, as precious cargo or, or anything else, if that makes any sense. But thank you. Thank you very much for bringing that point up because I think it was an important one to make. So, yes, we got ended up on the subject of consent. But where did it all start? It was a question about how long you'd wait for sex and about slow movers and people that you could date and date and date and date and nobody makes a move so we've got a bunch of colons on this and the first i'm going to play is from dewan and only don't apologize for the sounds of new york it's lovely you and momac i am jealous of you guys because you can just make a station alone out of new york environments that's a good idea by the way you can totally use that for free but yes this day and age talking with women I think the number one reason why guys sometimes can be hesitant is rejection and I think you spoke about this a lot in the past and um, instead of getting rejected and having your heart stumped on a lot of guys would just play the wall and wait till a female talks to them the same thing with sex they'll wait for the female to be sexually inclined to do something and a lot of that is because of society and how it teaches us to not be this monster so to speak in terms of being a rapist and whatnot and there are many different masks that rapists wear to the point where we basically kind of have the wrong idea of what a sexual predator is and I'll call back in with another addition to this topic now as far as waiting long for sex and I feel this ties in how long can I wait? I can wait quite a long time because I've been trained by the best. I am in the hyperbolic cha time chamber of Dragon Ball Z and I have got my key energy level to such a maxed out point that I really just don't even want the sex most of the time. But um, I guess I could say how the longest I'll wait. Damn, uh, Gerard said 30 days. Damn. 
I can wait one month. How about that? That's 30 days. Oh, I'm, okay, okay. How about two months? I can wait two months. I can wait two months. Because I want her prime and ready and throbbing and aching for it so bad that when I finally leash that beast, ain't nothing we can do but drench those sheets. You feel me? Oh, yeah, the other topic. Fear of rejection is a very understandable reason. And I think men have it tough in this case. And that's what women don't realize. Women can fear rejection and safely be comfortable in their gender role of being the one that's being pursued because that's how society set up. Whereas if you're a man who fears rejection and you never put the move on, you're probably missing out on a lot of sex that's just ready and waiting for you. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys who, you know, fear rejection like any human being, but have had to force themselves to get over it because if they didn't, they were just never going to get any. Um, and I think that's also partially what builds up some resentment among men. If you ever talk to guys who are just like, why don't girls any do anything to ever do anything? Why do we have to do all the work? Why do we have to perform for them and make them open up to us and all this stuff? I hear a lot of men speak kind of bitterly about this and i actually feel their pain because it's not really fair that it's always on them um that the power balance is sort of uh, tipped in that way and some people will argue that it's supply and demand but it's really not um it's not i don't think it's just about men being always ready for it and women always trying to put it away although actually i should say it is because of that but it's not because that's the natural order of things uh, I think that, you know, there's an artificial supply and demand built up because women are taught to think of sex as some kind of like bartering tool when it shouldn't be. And that that you know, indirectly sort of devalues women themselves without them even realizing it. But that's besides the point and like a whole other topic. Maybe, though, if women learn to recognize those signs more and to be a little bit more outward with their own sexuality and the and to understand that their right to be sexual beings and to have sexual desires as well <clears throat> that they can maybe you know be the ones to initiate or at least to give a clear signal to a guy like hey i'm i'm ready for this like i want this do you want it too and then we can go from there i will say though one last thing i feel like i'm always saying one last thing there I think women will be able to back me up on this, but there are those guys that are so freaking slow that you could literally be lying in their bed and they still won't make a move. And that shit drives us crazy. And it's not, I still don't even know why. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't even remember if this happened to me or to other people. I just feel like it happens to everyone at some point in their lives. We were just like, I don't understand. This dude gives every signal, signal that he's, that he wants it. And yet I'm right here, like on a silver platter and I'm doing the whole leg touching thing. Like I'm giving him all the signals that I'm ready to go. And he just does not do shit about it. And, um, you know, that can be very confusing. And I don't really know why that is. So if any guys can shed light on that, let me know. Next, answering the same question, we have King of Uptown 79. I can't go long without having sex with the person. I would have to... Um immediately because at the end of the day i gotta know what the box hitting for because if she might have bad coochie it might not even be good but she might not even know how to have sex like that a lot of females they don't know how to have sex and they shots not good so i should say immediately for anybody because you want to know what you're getting into in that bedroom before you start to like them you know what i mean so that should be mandatory that should be a must 
I mean, shit really fast as possible. You know what I mean? Basically. Because every, everybody not skilled in that area. Just because they're a girl don't mean she knows what she's doing. You feel what I'm saying? But, I don't know. But, not too long. But, I mean, cause that's the main thing. Because you don't want to get to like her and wife her up and she got a bad shot. Thank you for your answer. I actually um, agree somewhat. So I did say earlier that I'd be willing to wait up to 30 days. That's sort of like the maximum before it needs to be addressed. Not that I wouldn't be willing to wait more than 30 days, but if we haven't talked about it, 30 days is like the maximum I'm willing to go before. I'm just like, dude, what gives? You know what I mean? Um, but I do think that ASAP, not that it's mandatory, but you know, I know pretty soon after meeting a person whether there is some sort of physical chemistry or something that attracts me to that person and if i'm not feeling that almost right away um then there's probably some chemistry issues there and if i am feeling that i'm not a person who has rules about withholding sex and everything else and making people jump through hoops to get rewarded with the sex because i don't see sex as a reward i see sex as just a consensual act between people it can be very beautiful and when the people like each other it can be even more beautiful and i don't see a sense in delaying it except for all these like artificial societal rules that we've come up with um that have have us thinking that a person is better quality if they're not that quote-unquote easy and i don't believe in any of that shit so um, that's my personal preference, of course, and I do know that people have different preferences, which is why I asked the question yesterday. So thank you for your answer. I actually think that a lot of people know very well that probably within 15 minutes of speaking to a person, you know if you're down to sleep with that person. And I mean, that's if you know yourself and your own desire very well. I happen to be very in tune with how I react to people and sort of like the chemistry that can develop between people. And I know that it's very rare. So I recognize it instantly when I meet someone like, "Ooh, I'm like very attracted to this person and I'd be down for it, even whether whether that's just for to try it out or to explore something more. But whatever the case may be, I feel something right now because mostly when I meet people, I don't feel anything. And so when I do feel that, I know it's special and I'm willing to pursue it. Um, and a lot of people mistaken that willingness with being really open to sex with everyone, which is just not the case at all. Uh, so I just think that that is also an interesting thing because I also do know that there are people out there who will not have sex immediately with someone they're dating, but they will have sex with literally anyone that gets to like the fourth or fifth date. And I I don't know that that's better. I mean, you're withholding sex for a longer time, so maybe you're getting to know each other a little bit more, but then you also end up having sex with a bunch of people that you're not that sure about and you're not that into, which to me sounds very, very unappealing. Like, I can't imagine something less appealing than having sex with a person that I don't really even like that much, but that's just me. I would actually love to hear what you guys think about that. But anyway, moving on to the next call-ins. Next up, Reg has some words about this. Yo, Lori, what's up? Um, calling in on your question of the day. How long will I wait for sex? Hmm. Good question. And as long as it takes. You know, um, I've gone a year. Relationship with this person. Went out on dates. Hung out everything got to know each other before we crossed that line you know i mean got to know each other really well before we crossed that line 
Um, I've been in long distance relationships. So, yeah, I can wait. Ain't no biggie. Ain't no thing. What? A fucking year? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm not really kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. I mean, look, there are people who have reasons like religious reasons, for example, where they might want to wait or maybe they had some trauma in the past and they want to take it super slow. And if they've explained that, then I could see a person waiting for a year. It's not like, you know, we're all nymphomaniacs out here and we can't live without sex or, you know, it's not like we can't masturbate. All right. But if we're talking about like a year of not even knowing if this person is like really even sexually interested in you or interested in sex at all, that is hard, I will say. So I commend you for being that patient. And I commend you for being willing to take a gamble of like investing a whole year of your life into someone who might not be all that when it comes down to it in the end. So um, that is some willpower right there. As for me, you know, I, I think that a year seems... It's a little scary, not because of a year of celibacy, but more the thought of being with someone who is that averse to sex that they would hold off for a year. And they might have a perfectly valid reason for themselves. That's fine. But I just personally know that I would not be compatible in a romantic way with a person who does not need sex for a whole year or who might want me, but would rather hold off on it for that long i think that'd be really really difficult so anyway thank you as always for sharing your views now let's bring it back for a second to the question for today about whether you'd be open to an open relationship and we have a call in from ray hey laurie calling in on your question of the day would i be willing to do an open relationship i've always been in monogamous relationships so i prefer the way those type of relationships flow the commitment the trust, the one-on-one. So my response would be no. However, back in uh, 2012, I was in a relationship. Things weren't going very well. Uh, we were on the verge of breaking up. And she made me an offer. She said, why don't we just open up the relationship? You do your thing, I'll do mine, and we'll meet somewhere in the middle. I think she wanted to go that route. We, we both realized that there were some aspects of the relationship that were going very well and others weren't. So that was one way of trying to I guess, salvage what we had left. But uh, I thought about it for a few days, but I decided against it. I don't like the idea. I just prefer monogamy. Great question. Hi, Ray. I think it's, yeah, I think it's important to know what we want. I'm personally a monogamous person too, so I totally feel you. I don't, uh, well, I've got my own story, but I'll save that for later. Um, if if one were to do an open relationship, uh, I think that you were probably right to make that call not to do it with your ex. Just because if you're going to enter an open relationship, I think it's it can be pretty difficult to manage just imagining how it would work and like managing expectations on both sides. And that's hard enough when you are at the peak of your relationship or the peak of loving or liking someone. It can be, I can just imagine it'll be much, much harder to try to deal with that when you're actually on the outs and you're thinking maybe you're even going to break up because you're not compatible. So, I mean, if you're going to, you know, if your relationship bonds are going to withstand the um, temptation of other people and stepping out and not fully committing to each other only and only to each other, um, it, it would probably just be a lot more complicated if you just added all this other stuff into it. 
for me, I'm at a point in my life where I wouldn't want something like this. I, I don't think I've ever wanted that because I am monogamous. But I do see the merits of an open relationship because the foundation of an open relationship, in my opinion, is one that is entered into by both sides voluntarily. As in, you are committed to each other, but you are committed to each other because you want to be. And so you're not worried about external temptation and relationships with other people ever superseding the relationship that you have with your primary partner. At least that's how I imagine a functional open relationship to be. So imagine it like, and I think I've made this analogy before, but like at will employment, if you work and you have a full-time job, that is your full-time job. That is the main way that you make your bread. But you also want to be able to freelance sometimes because you are a person who has skills and you feel like doing whatever you want on your free time. When you're not at your nine to five, you want to be able to do whatever it is that you like to do after hours. And um, if you were in a relationship like that, it's not because you want to quit your nine to five job. It's not because you want to quit your main relationship or that you don't prize that relationship, but you just have other interests maybe, or you want to have the option of having other interests. And some people, for some people, that scares them, right? Because I think when a lot of people get insecure and they're jealous and they don't want to think about their partner with other people, it's because they're worried about losing their partner. And to that, I say, I understand. But being worried about losing your partner and locking them down with a legal or verbal contract not to step out on you or to leave you is not going to change the fact that they might want to leave you one day. And I think that's what a lot of us don't realize. If a person were with you voluntarily, they're going to have to want to be with you voluntarily all of your days, unless you are okay with keeping them prisoner and having them be with you simply because they promised. Personally, even though I do enjoy monogamy as a form of relationship, like as, a, as an exercise in the way I interact with whoever I've decided to partner up with, I don't ever want that promise of monogamy to be the reason why they decide to be with me when actually they would rather be somewhere else. And though it would hurt me if I were with someone that I was fully committed to and they decided one day to call it off, um, I, I wouldn't want to stop them, to be honest. And so in that way, I feel like open relationships solve that problem because it's basically saying, I'm okay with whatever it is that you want to do. I might set parameters for it. I might say, just let me know because I just want the truth. I'd rather you tell me what you really want than hide your feelings or suppress your feelings and stay with me because of some artificial reason like a commitment or a contract. I should say too that I think open relationships are very much, um, there is commitment there. It's just a different type of commitment. It's, no, it's not a promise to stay faithful and monogamous at any cost. It's a promise to prioritize your primary relationship of all the other things while you might have other things going on and um, being being open to that. So it's not like there's no commitment there at all. But they do take away this idea that we own our partners and that, you know, they're on a leash, I guess. So, you know, maybe in some ways it even encourages us to work harder to maintain our relationships and make sure that they are the best things in our lives. Thanks, Ray, for calling in about that. And I hope to hear from more of you guys about what your thoughts are. Next up, we have TC Ray calling in um, about something that came up yesterday in conversation about, you know, people who are just always complaining about the dating process and complaining that people are not perfect and exactly the way they want them to be. I'll replay a little bit of that conversation first so that you know what she's responding to. So on a separate note, do any of you guys have that friend or that group of friends who always comes to you 
complaining about the dating process and like hating single life because they're always talking about what other people lack in terms of what they want. Like they've got their 10 things, like they don't want the person to be um, a, a smoker. They don't want them to go party too much. Uh, maybe they just think that the person is like doesn't have a good enough job or doesn't drive a nice enough car or whatever the case may be. There's always something wrong with the people that they date. And it's always like some arbitrary thing that has nothing to do with whether they actually like the person. I mean, we all have complaints. Like, I joke around with my friends all the time. Like, when I see guys and I don't like them, I always, like, you know, analyze it a little bit and come up with some things about them that annoy me or that just make me unattracted. But ultimately, what really matters, I know to myself, is whether I like the guy or not. If I'm not feeling the vibe, there's probably 10 reasons why, but the point is I don't feel the vibe. Well, there's some people who just, it's like they don't know what the vibe is, all right? And it's more about, like, a person meeting their requirements or catering to their needs does does this person have a lifestyle that matches mine do they like the same things are they going to want to go to nice dinners with me because that's what i like and i think it shifts the focus too much onto like looking for someone to like fill a role like to be your maid or to be your employee than it is looking for a person to really connect with true human connections are rare and i think that that's partially why people fall into this trap because you meet so few people that you really, really just enjoy fully like that, that it becomes tempting to start trying to like fill in the spaces in between. So you might be dating around and, you know, it's been a while since you met someone that really got you excited or feeling really passionate. So you meet someone who kind of gets you like you're, they're kind of OK, they're nice enough, they're attractive. And so you try to ram them into that role of being the excitement in your life. And it just doesn't work like that. It's not organic. And I'm not saying that like that initial infatuation is the thing that's going to carry you through an entire relationship. But if you can't even get fired up about someone in the very beginning, think about how hard it's going to be to sustain that over a long term relationship. I mean, if your goal is to do like an arranged marriage type of situation where you find someone who's good on paper and you just decide to place all your bets on that person and commit to them legally and, you know, just make do with what you have. Fine. But, you know, there is also there is marriage for love or you know maybe i'm a hopeless romantic but i don't think you know romance and infatuation and all that is supposed to be the end-all be-all of a relationship but it would be nice to start one that way um and i think what a lot of people have difficulty with is they want someone good on paper but then they also want that feeling and when they don't get both they're like what's happening and then they're not willing to put as much work in on their end because they're just not that excited about the other person for me i I generally know that something is worth exploring if when I look at a person and I stop asking myself, what can this person do for me? Or how can this person fit into the lifestyle I've created alone? And it becomes more about, I just want to see this person and I want to see this person happy. I am starting to get to know what gets this person excited and I want to be part of that. And, you know, you start thinking about how you can do things together and it's just less about serving yourself, if that makes any sense. And if I don't feel that, if I'm still, you know, trying to fit that person into my life and not really willing to make any compromises for them, and I'm not just generally excited to make them happy and to see them excited, then the vibe just isn't there. And that's my signal to drop it. I know that among the listeners to the station, there are lots of people who have been in long committed relationships. There are a few of us that are single. So I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about all this. Hello, Lori. This is TC Ray from Action 25. Just um, answering a question that you po you posted on your station, and are you 
looking for a date or an employee. I think that's what it was called. But yeah, I have friends that complain about this, complain about that, complain about this, complain about that. The one thing I always say to people is pick your poison because, and I hate to say the word poison, nobody is perfect. So you pick somebody who's doing this or pick somebody who don't have that. Which one do you want? It's all in if you're attracted to them first and foremost. Just as you said, you know, do you like the person? Do you not like them? You know, there is nothing perfect about a person. So again, pick your poison. <laughs> yes, that is, this is such a good point. Um, this is the thing. I think we date these days, like we're shopping for people, which is our tendency because we're literally like swiping through faces and picking the ones that we think are the best. It's like the, the emotional equivalent of like walking into a supermarket aisle to get spaghetti sauce and there's a hundred different kinds of spaghetti sauce and you just got to pick like the best one you want and you're trying to get the one with like all the flavors and the right packaging and whatever and we are shopping for people like commodities when you do that you tend to look at them based on the label and what's written what's you know what's advertised versus what that thing actually is and so i think we really should just stop looking at people that way and just look online dating cuts down a lot of um, hassle in terms of having to go out and actually physically meet people. But when you do meet a person from offline or from online, rather, you shouldn't be looking at them as in a list of traits. Like, do does this person meet all my job requirements that I posted on my help wanted ad? No, it's like, who is this person? Let's start there. I mean, let me just get to know the person as if I just met them at work or just met them at the park or something. Let me find out what this what makes this person tick. Do I like this person? Do I enjoy their company? Let's just have a regular conversation. And when you do that, then you don't need to worry about some stupid checklist. All you need to worry about is how you are vibing. And then you can see, oh, I like this person. I had a great conversation. I don't feel any sexual chemistry, but maybe this person can be my friend. Or you could be like, this person was boring as shit and I never want to see them again. No need to even think about a checklist. Um, and Or you might be completely enamored with the person, in which case a checklist won't matter anymore. The checklist is counterproductive. It's like, it's just a bunch of criteria that are essentially superficial and don't get to the bottom of whether you and someone else are supposed to get along and are supposed to connect. So um, anyway, thank you very much for calling in about that. I think that's an important point that I feel like at some point, you know, someday we should probably explore it more in depth. So just remember, if you are in search of perfection and you think you found it or got as close to it as possible, believe me when I say with billions of people on this earth, there is probably someone who's slightly better. So just give up the search because it's not about finding the perfect model. It's about finding the right model for you. Next up, we have Safa calling in in response to something that I said when we were talking about ways that we can think about respecting each other and basically teaching consent. I was saying that one way to see women as people is to stop seeing women as be existing for the sake of men. Laura, your segment on women are not here for you. I'd like to offer you a new perspective, something more basic. And the fact to say is that men are here for women, women are here for men, purposes of reproduction. Why? Because we want to ensure the survival of the human race. Now a man will say whatever he and do whatever he needs to do in order to sleep with a woman. Why? Because he wants to pass on his genetics to the next generation. And a woman will be selective as to what man she sleeps with because she obviously wants certain qualities to be passed on to her children. 
to ensure the next generation. So if we understand that as a basic human um, need, then why do we need PC culture to tell us what to say, what to think, and what to do? Because genetics will take care of itself. Everything that happens in between biology and, and, and ensuring the next generation is almost irrelevant as long as it happens from a biological point of view. So all this PC culture stuff actually means nothing. Safa, thank you for calling in with this point. I think it's something that a lot of people do think about, and I don't completely disagree, although I do, and I'll explain why. Um, firstly, because you characterize it as a new way of thinking when, in fact, it is actually very old and very traditional to just sort of um, use evolution as a crutch and be like, well, duh, evolution, this is why women, cave women did this and cavemen did that and whatever, which um, actually what we're finding in new studies now looking at like physiology and looking at women's actual physical responses to sexual stimulus and um, their physical changes in their body based on desire and everything, we're learning a lot more about what women desire, what's biological, what's social, and everything else. And I bring this up because within science, this sort of simplification of evolutionary theory and boiling everything down to just, oh, you know, this dismissive idea of like men just want to spread their seed and women just want to um, select the best protectors of their families to procreate with. These are, like I, like I was saying, oversimplifications and also they make it too easy to dismiss actual science that's objective and looks at what's actually happening within our bodies when we are looking for partners and when we are having sex, when we are reaching orgasm. And that's why Masters and Johnson's research was so important and um, for its time and why, you know, people have been in the decades since really, really tried to more objectively um, come up with hypotheses when it comes to sexual desire because we have disregarded it so long that we've done science a disservice. And as for PC culture, I don't really know exactly what I said that you think is PC culture. I'm actually very anti-PC culture. I'm very pro-facts. I'm very pro-logic. And what you actually said to me in terms of like evolutionary theory is a form of PC culture. It's a, a propaganda type of explanation for something that's going on that dismisses any type of critical thinking about that situation. So disregarding all of that, because I think it all just muddies the picture and gets way too theoretical, we should just look at exactly what we're talking about here. Yesterday, we were talking about dating culture and how guys always have to be the initiators. And I was suggesting that maybe they sh we should consider otherwise because it's a lot of pressure on men to always have to do that. In that context, in that world that we're discussing, I somehow highly doubt that these dudes are waking up every day thinking, I shall spread my seed far and wide today. And that's why I will call these five girls to see if they will go on a date with me. That's probably not how it works in fact i'm pretty sure what they're really thinking is i just want to get some tonight because having sex is a whole lot of fun and let's see who i have the highest chances of having sex with and women may have a whole bunch of other stuff going on in their heads but ultimately hopefully also enjoy the sex and are looking for the same thing but of course because of socialization and everything else possibly in part because of biology women also have to think about uh you know protecting their image and everything else so in the context of the con conversation we were actually having, which was about dating culture, which then actually evolved into a conversation about c the culture of consent and trying to teach men not to um, basically take that role as the aggressor and the initiator and turn it into a rape type of situation, I do not think that this evolutionary theory or this biological theory that you have put forth really makes any sense. 
I, I don't see how it applies in any case here. I don't think that it explains why men should ever be able to take sex from women or feel entitled to sex from women against their will. And I don't see how it is an explanation for why men should 100% of the time always be the ones that have to be the initiators and the aggressors and that women have to be like shying away from them and pretending that they don't want it when in fact they do. I also don't really understand like why you called in with this argument because are you trying to say that I'm wrong in encouraging people to look at other people as human beings and to respect them as individuals because that was basically my only point and so I mean I'm really not sure what you're getting at here but I mean I feel free to explain. In the meantime, after I post this, I'm going to include a link to a book that I highly recommend to anyone who is listening to this. But Safa, if you're interested in this topic at all, some of the um, science that I was mentioning earlier is very well outlined in that book. And it's a very interesting read. Next up with more on the consent topic is KMC. Hey, Lori, I just want to talk about the consent topic that always seems to come up, but it's such an important topic. I think we need to be aware that saying are you okay will not ruin the moment it's okay to to wonder how she's feeling we should care how she's feeling as men and i'm i'm guessing that if you ask those questions nothing it won't ruin the moment and it would maybe make things better um so i just want to get that out there that it's important communicate and women too like if you're not feeling it you should feel safe to say okay i'm out if if you're on a date and and the woman comes back to your house because let's say it's late out and they they can't get home without paying a hundred bucks for a cab. And they come home, they say to you in advance, okay, we're not having sex, but I need to sleep here. So that's it. And, and then you go on the couch, you start making out. And then she says, okay, I'm good. Let's have sex. Now, what would you do in this, in this scenario? For me, you got to ask and say, are you sure? Are you okay? And and make sure that she's all right. I think the wrong thing to do is, is just go for it, go all in, and 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 not ask how she's doing. It's so important to ask first. Even she gave you the green light, still ask. That is some education right there from KMC. Yes, um, I you know having not been in the situation of a man, I think that those scenarios are really hard. Right. Because when a girl seems to be saying yes, how do you react? Um, I think a lot of guys wouldn't see anything wrong with just going for it at that point. And truth be told, there are women who go into a situation not wanting to have sex and then they change their mind. That happens a lot. In fact, a lot of my girlfriends and I will discuss this. They'll be like, well, you know, sometimes I don't feel like it. But then somehow at the end of the I, I change my mind and I do want it. Um, and, and we do, to a certain extent, put it on men to be able to read that change in mood. But like I was saying earlier, um, 
asking, you know, asking is really the only way to be sure. And like you're saying, yes, there's nothing wrong with asking. Um, if she's ready for it, asking is not gonna is not gonna stop her or change her mind if she's really not ready for it or she is, you know what I mean? She's she's going to feel how she's gonna feel and it's just about respecting whatever her decision is. So thank you for thank you for that call in. Now Dewan has some words about this too. So I think you kind of hit on this earlier where it has to be both parties recognizing that um, you have to be sensitive to one's nature and one's needs or wants. So sometimes men, we have to just ask as painful as that can be, especially for someone like me that's so suave and debonair that I would never want to ask a female, can I tap them draws? But hey, sometimes you just got to flat out ask. And if the female says no, you just shake her hand and you walk away and you never see her again. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. But I think sometimes I could get a lot of the bullshit out the way if you just kind of straight up say, hey, let's do this and break these societal norms. You can have sex. I can have sex. Hell, my dick ready. I know your clit ready. Let's do this. And, and of course, it, that's probably what would get you slapped. But at least she'll know that you care. Oh, and one more thing, Lori. I just want to say how cool and necessary it is that a station like yours exists on Anchor that has a mature approach to sexual talk. You and Jasmine, a uh, black girl experience, are really, really making it such a relief to hear topical discussion that is not always centered around positivity and motivation well i guess sex can be positivity and motivation if we talk about it enough and we come to the conclusion that we love sex and there's nothing wrong with getting it but if you don't get it there's always a sex robot that you can order for a small price of 13.99 so dewan to summarize your points sex is great most of us love getting it you said all but i'll say most because there are asexual people out there there's nothing wrong with getting it and we should just cut the bullshit and just communicate with each other and say what we want and say what we don't and the world will be a better place. Also, Jasmine, aka the Black Girl Experience, that station is dope. I agree. So I think we can just call it a day. I'm just kidding. But I definitely always appreciate your input and um, as usual, very much agree with what you have to say. Speaking of Jasmine, the next call-in is from jasmine of black girl experience the only thing that's gonna be open is his casket that is all and now you know if you want to get with jasmine you do not ask for an open relationship next up we have e for energy from after tech talking about open relationships as well hey Lori, this is e for energy again calling back to add two cents to the conversation about the open relationships open relationships like I said before, they're possible, they're highly unlikely because both parties have to be really open and really honest with with who they are as people and who they are in the relationship because it sounds great on paper, especially for men, but the flip side of it is the idea of actually sharing your woman with another man. Like sharing with another woman, you might be okay with that. But sharing your woman with another man goes a little bit deeper. So when that gets put into the equation, it makes you take a step back and being like, do I really want to do this? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Pretty simple. You're right about this. As much as we talk about 
open communication and everyone being on the same page. You can't be on the same page with another person if you're not on the same page with yourself. So to your point, you really need to know what you want and what you're okay with if you're entering an open relationship. Like doing it because the other person wants to when you personally are not that comfortable with it probably isn't the best place to start off with. That said, I think a lot of us are not open to it because we think we're not open to it, but we've never tried it. So maybe we just don't know. And as for you know what you're saying, I mean... The key word, I think, in what you're saying about, oh, do you really want to share your woman with another man? The key word here is your, right? Because I think the principle of an open relationship is that you don't own the other person. You guys are both in the relationship willingly and you do things on your own because you are not owned by your partner. You're just committed to them and you have an agreement that you will be together, but you will also see other people. And so it's very difficult to have that agreement if you see your partner as your property, that and you don't want to loan your property out because you don't want your property to be damaged or tainted or whatever the case may be. And because we do usually enter relationships with that mentality, like you're mine. Um, not that that's wrong, by the way, because I do kind of feel that myself. Um, and I do recognize that that's the way I was raised and the way I was taught. But I do just recognize that that's the way I like relationships. I like the ownership aspect of it. But because I know that about myself, I know that I can't necessarily be in a successful open relationship with a person um, who, I, who I feel doesn't feel have any ownership over me or vice versa. So thank you. Really good points. And um, and I just think that, you know, you're right. It's probably rare that two people with such um, open minds can get together and make it work. But I do think that they're out there. Uh, I've seen some examples of it, um, even online. If anybody's really interested, you can check out uh, a sexologist named Sham Booty. She used to be on Anchor, but basically she's mostly on YouTube. I've interviewed her before. She's an awesome person. She has gotten a lot of flack over her open relationship with her man, and she's taken a lot of time to explain it. Um, and I think what they have is really interesting and really beautiful, and it might not last forever, but it works for them for now, and they seem to be like a really great couple, regardless of what anyone else thinks. Next up, we have another call about open relationships from That Honesty Thing. Hi, it's That Honesty Thing, and I wanted to call in to answer your question about open relationships. I think it's a great question, and to rush and get to the point within a minute, um, I'm very traditional, and I know this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but I am all for open relationships. I think when we first think of an open relationship, we automatically, most of us assume that one or more partners are just having sex with other people, and that it's okay, and for me, an open relationship is is sex is probably the last part of it. I feel like an open relationship is when you are 100% going to be honest about any feelings that you may develop for another person. And so for me, it's not even about the action. It's just an agreement that if something were to come up, if my feelings change, if I get involved with someone else or want to, that we would be open to discuss that before making any moves. 
I also just wanted to add that in this day and age, we are very comfortable in situationships or what have you, and that that is technically an open relationship, but when we don't call it that and we force ourselves to be in monogamous uh, situations, I think that leaves more doors open to cheat. I think it's actually harder to be in an open relationship because we're so accustomed to hiding our truth and hiding how we feel and hiding our feelings and desires and urges that we then keep things a secret. And so an open relationship for me, again, is really just an open door policy and not being upset if someone's feelings then change or evolve into something else, but being able to accept it and understand from the get-go that, hey, we're gonna enjoy what we have, and if and when things change, we will both make a decision and move forward with that. Um, yeah, thanks so much. That was an answer very befitting of a station called That Honesty Thing. And I, yes, this is exactly why I think open relationships are such an intriguing question. And I wish that I were strong enough to enter one. Not that I disagree with any of the principles, but just in general, I, I, I always want my partners to feel comfortable being honest, honest with me, including if that honesty means something that might hurt me or that might mean that I'm no longer the top priority in their life or the only priority in their life or their only object of interest. But I, when I say that um, I'm not sure about open relationships for me is because I know that despite... I'm, despite being able to control myself and not flipping out when I find out that my partner might have a wandering eye or something, I know that I probably could not sustain a relationship knowing that, you know, that I wasn't enough to fulfill my partner. And so I therefore try to actively seek people out who feel similarly to me about monogamy in terms of like just developing that type of tunnel vision that I get when I fall in love with someone. But these points that you're making are exactly um, the the perspective that I think needs to be added to this conversation because a lot of times when people talk about open relationships, they're just like, oh, this is just an excuse to fuck around. You're, you know, someone is obviously not wanting to do this, do this and they're just doing it to um, satisfy their partner and keep hold on to their partner even though their partner doesn't really want to stay settled in the relationship. I mean, there's all types of judgments that come out, but there are open relationships in the in the concept of people just being open to the fact that hey we're here and we love each other right now and we want to give each other space to be who we are and to be honest about who we are without um you know doing something feeling the need to like suppress those actual feelings that we might develop for other people um and i think that's important because who knows if we're naturally meant to spend our entire lives with one person? There are some people who really question that because when the concept of marriage first came about, lifespans were also a lot shorter. People didn't, you know, um, being, being together with someone quote unquote forever wasn't as long of a time as it can mean now. And of course, there's other complications that come with life and everything. And so, yes, um, I think that all of this stuff makes people question what they really want and what the most healthy way is to live out the rest of their days in a relationship. Um, and I think it does cause a lot of fear because people do see a lot of marriages break down and nobody wants to be in that situation. But it is something worth exploring if it's the reality. So anyway, yes, thank you for that very thought-provoking answer and for articulating it so well. Also, welcome because you are a first-time caller to the station, and I'm really glad you're here. 
So some of you guys have mentioned in the last couple days or here and there that you're envious of me being in New York. And those of you who also listen to Momac know that he's also in New York. And with that, I'm going to give you a little clip from Momac that shows you just how wonderful it is to live in the Big Apple. Yo, what's up, insatiable Lori? Momac with a double hero. Uh, I'm just thinking... If it's a first time sort of thing, like not a long ass relationship or something, maybe the guy, oh motherfucker, spot right in front of my house, I parked so far away, shit. Ah, oh, fuck it, I ain't moving the car. Anyway, uh, um, I digress. Back to motherfucker though, the spot. Do you hate when that happens? Anyway, you probably don't. You probably don't have to find parking where you're at. Even though you're in New York City, but maybe you're smart and you don't drive. Um, I'm thinking the guy, if it's a first date sort of thing, maybe he was working all day. He got sweaty, like real sweaty. And he worried about that funky junk. Nobody wants to leave a girl thinking, oh man, he got funky junk. So maybe that's why he ain't trying to hit. He ain't, you know, he got to hit the shower before hitting the sheets. Yo, the struggle is real, my friend. Like... Yes. I mean, for those of you who have never lived in New York before, um, if you live in New York and you're a New York native, especially if you are from Queens or like a borough where driving makes your life better, like I am, um, you will want a car, right? I mean, there's lots of people who talk about coming to New York and, oh, the subway's so great and they never have to drive. That's because those people are not from New York and they're happy living in a 10-block radius and spending their entire lives in, like, downtown and Brooklyn or, like, West Nouveau, Brooklyn. But the rest of us like to, you know, be out and about and go out at night and on weekends without having interrupted subway service and whatnot. So, yes, we have cars. And the struggle here is that so many people park on the street because parking spots are really expensive and the government cleans the streets uh several times a week depending on where you live and so you need to so there's competition for spaces because at a certain hour like usually in the morning during weekdays you're gonna have to move your car off of one side of the street or you're gonna get a ticket so like two to four days every week in your neighborhood likely you will have to move your car to the other side of the street when everyone else is also trying to move their car to the other side of the street which means that getting a space on certain times like when you get home late in the evening is nearly impossible um and that is the frustration that you hear in Momax's voice. He didn't explain all that but that's basically what happens to all of us and it's not a fun part of living here I actually, um, I still do drive. I used to go through the same painful fucking process. And in that process, I just ended up getting tickets like five, six times a month. And the shit was so expensive that I decided eventually when I moved back to New York that I was not going to put myself through that shit again. And it would be worth it to just get a cheaper car and actually spring for a parking spot. And luckily, I live in a part of New York where parking spots don't cost the same as a small apartment. So, um very lucky that i don't need to shovel my car out of the snow um after the snow plows come through i don't need to fuck with alternate side parking and i can take that extra time to like work and go to the gym and whatnot so (laughs) momac i feel for you i hope that uh somebody came down and held that spot for you because damn like if it was right in front of my house i think i might have to go back and run and get my car for that shit So what the call-in was really about before it was interrupted by the prime parking real estate 
was actually a response to the earlier topic of why guys sometimes don't make a move. Yo, what's up, Insatiable Lori? Momac with a double hero. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just thinking if it's a first time sort of thing, like not a long ass relationship or something, maybe the guy. Oh, motherfucker. Spot right in front of my house. I parked so far away. Shit. Ah, oh, fuck it. I ain't moving the car. Anyway, uh, um, I digress. Back to motherfucker though the spot do you hate when that happens anyway you probably don't you probably don't have to find parking where you're at even though you're in new york city but maybe you're smart and you don't drive um i'm thinking the guy if it's a first date sort of thing maybe he was working all day he got sweaty like real sweaty and he worried about that funky junk nobody wants to leave a girl thinking oh man he got funky junk so maybe that's why he ain't trying to hit he ain't you know he gotta hit the shower before hitting the sheets <clears throat> but let me follow up with that. But let me follow up with that for a second. Yo, a few. If I'm at your place, by the way, talk about giving signals. Let me tell you about some unspoken words right here. If I'm at your place and it's midnight and I'm I'm like, yo, baby, how your shower doing? How's your water pressure? How's your hot water? I need to test that out. Um, it's about to be on shit. It's about to be on. I might, I just might be wet when I come into that, ooh, into that bed. So, shit, Lori, I don't even know if you can publish these, but I guess you can, right? It's a cool station. Fair play, right? We cool like that? We cool like that? Hopefully we cool like that. I'm gonna find out. I'm about to find out. How your water pressure doing? Mm. If I learn anything from this last call-in, it's that you are not the type of guy to not make a move because you know if you have a water pressure line you got all the lines you need to make it happen so you're reading the signal somehow i guess but yeah good point on the you know sometimes the guy's just like not ready for it sometimes i suspect like um guys don't invite you up because like their place is dirty and it's like not a presentable to women because you know there's some guys there's some people even girls too who are like kind of sloppy and shit and so their house is not always ready for presenting to guests and if you're going to be inviting somebody to your house for the first time you got like laundry all over the floor that is not a good look so and oh i should note that i have been one of those people i'm not like a dirty person i do like my place in a certain like order but of course if i'm like in the middle of doing laundry i got like the colored pile the white pile the light pile like whatever like it's all laid out and it's like on my bed on the floor like the shit looks crazy and there's no way i would ever let a guy into my apartment for the first time when it's in that state of craziness okay it is getting a little late so i'm gonna close today out but I got to know, I do have other call-ins that are waiting to be published. I do plan to publish them. Some of them are continuations of the conversation from today. Some are from slightly earlier. But I just don't want anything to get lost because I'm like putting it out overnight or whatever. And so if you are waiting to hear your call-in be published, just stay tuned for tomorrow. And thank you so much, you guys, for making it such a lively conversation today, covering all kinds of things. I appreciate you all, even when I don't always agree with you. And I will talk to you tomorrow.